my mom told me when I grew up that she really didn't care what I accomplished in life. That that really wasn't going to matter much. But what, what would be actually the measure of me as a person in her mind would be what I did for others. And I've kind of kind of carried that with me for my entire life for better or worse, right? Hello and welcome to The Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster. Food for the brain, knowledge from the experts, tools to win at life. I'm your host, Dr. Richard. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, and whatever you do, this is the show that is going to help you become the best version of yourself. Each episode, you will hear from some of the most amazing, talented, and successful people on the planet who followed their passions and strive to help others. Join our movement to get a million people each day to commit acts of kindness for others. Together, we're going to make the world a better place. Are you ready? Because it's time for your daily helping. Thanks for tuning in to the latest episode of the Daily Helping Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Richard. Today's guest is fantastic, and it's an honor to have him on the show. Rich Kyleberg serves as a senior most corporate marketing and communications executive for Aero Electronics, reporting directly to the CEO. In this capacity, his spheres of influence include global branding, internal communications, media and public relations, events, government relations, financial communications, and corporate social responsibility. Prior to joining Arrow at the end of 2010, Rich spent 20 entrepreneurial years as president of CCA Incorporated, managing an owned and operated group of radio stations around the United States. He is a five-time Ironman finisher and was a qualifying member of Team USA for long course triathlon. He has served on over 15 not-for-profit boards and currently the Colorado Symphony Orchestra and the Colorado Office of Economic Development IT Advisory Council. Rich holds a Bachelor of Arts degree from Stanford University where he double majored in English and Communication. He holds a Master of Business Administration from Harvard Business School. Rich, welcome to the show. Well, thanks, Dr. Richard. It's just an honor to be with you today. I've been really looking forward to this interview for a while once we had set it up. And what I find interesting, as has been the case with a number of my guests, is they're doing amazing things as you are, but your background is quite different. You're you're doing what you're doing for Arrow, and we're definitely going to talk about that. But you were working in radio stations and running radio stations for a long time. So let's talk a bit about your background and how this kind of evolved for you over time. <laughs> you're, you're right that uh, it, it is somewhat unusual. I remember one of my first days uh, here at Arrow, I met with someone in the legal department who asked me, after a couple minutes of meeting me, if I had actually been interviewed for this job <laughs> and, you know, kind of laughed because uh, it was kind of an unusual path. Do you mind if I take you all the way back to when I was a baby? How long will this program be? <laughs> we can we can do it. And if uh, if we have to, we could even split it into two episodes. So rock and roll. <laughs> so the baby thing, my dad was an entrepreneur. OK, he had a boat store in Colorado. And if you look at Colorado on a map, it's a long way to any water. Right. So he had to be a pretty successful uh, entrepreneur selling 
boats in Colorado, where ultimately he became the, the, the biggest boat dealer west of the Mississippi River back in the 1960s and 70s when, when boating really had uh, quite a, a burst of popularity. And my mother was a social worker, and she dedicated her time and her professional career toward helping people, particularly with a, an expertise in kind of uh, grief counseling. So I, I have this kind of weird combination of being an entrepreneur and also really uh, kind of caring deeply about the human condition and about others. So uh, my mom told me when I grew up that she really didn't care what I accomplished in life, that that really wasn't going to matter much. But what, what would be actually the measure of me as a person in her mind would be what I did for others. And I've kind of kind of carried that with me for my entire life for better or worse, right? I love that. You know, you see so often you hear about the parents who stress grades and focus on money. Your core foundation that your mom helped instill in you was do whatever you want, just make a difference in the lives of others. That is so fantastic. It's exactly right. And, and combining that with an entrepreneurial father who said, just work for yourself. You've got to get out there and have your own business because the, the corporate world and so on can be tricky and treacherous. And you need to find your own way. So I combined those two things and found my own way into the broadcasting business. Um, I wanted to be a dentist, to be honest with you, but I couldn't get through the, the chemical, the chemistry, the little molecules. I don't, I don't understand that. Um, so I went into communications and I was, I was looking around the classroom. I think John Elway was actually there at the time and the communications majors at, at Stanford back then weren't really kind of the, the rocket scientists. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't the group that founded uh, Google. So I added an English major just uh, to, to feel better about, you know, how I was spending uh, my money in my education and came out. Because I, I, I kind of decided early on that the solution to the world's problems, there were so many problems in the world. But if I were to try to dig down and find one single possible solution or one single area that I could help work on, it was in communications. And that if we could just talk about our problems and talk about our differences in a respectful way and in a positive way, we really could solve any, any problem that humanity uh, ever faced. And I wanted to be a part of that. So got into communications and felt as though at one point, boy, if I could actually own the distribution channels for these messages, then I could really have a positive impact on, on, on the human condition. And that led me into the ownership of radio stations around the country. So having, having a, a quick stint in television, uh, in public television, having uh, been a, a program manager and producer of television shows, all really kind of intended to educate and enlighten and, and, and make life better for people. Terrific. So you essentially then spent the bulk of your time after TV in, or rather, operating these radio stations. Yeah, that's right. I mean, having uh, gone to the Harvard Business School and then you know, because actually the reason I got there was because we were doing pledge drives on public television and asking people to call in and, and give us money to, to support our operations. And I, after a couple of years of that, I thought it was kind of a silly way to try to keep a business going. And uh, so I, I applied to business school and, and, and was accepted and really learned how the business world works and then had an opportunity as the, the CEO of a company 
to understand kind of all aspects of business, whether it was human resources or the day-to-day operations, sales, finance, had an opportunity to work in all, all aspects of the business. And uh, at the same time, trying to pursue this mission of making the world a better place through communications. And I can tell you that when you, when you start focusing on the business side of things and, and, and the management, it can be hard to stay as focused on the mission because I think that the mission comes first, but the business aspects really kind of support that. So, you know, I don't know. I, I, I try to think of, say, Mother Teresa. If Mother Teresa had, you know, also felt that it was important for her to manage a McDonald's at the same time, it it it, it would be harder for her to do as many great works as she did. So you get a little bifurcated. And running a broadcast company, all of a sudden, responsibilities like the responsibility to our employees and responsibilities to, to getting through competitive situations began to loom fairly large. And in some ways, it was harder to stay focused on on using the tools of communication to make the world a better place, but trying to do so in in a smaller sphere associated with the company. Is that what made you start thinking about transitioning out of radio into doing something else? Well, radio actually kind of transitioned out of me. Around 2000, there was a telecommunications bill that consolidated that industry. And so there were much fewer radio stations around owned by large corporations. And these corporations in, in all took on a substantial amount of debt. So when the uh, recession hit in 2007, around eight, nine, um, all the entire radio industry kind of went upside down. All of the radio stations in the country were, were in tremendous peril because of their balance sheets. And uh, I, I saw that there was not a future in the industry for me. So sometimes I think, Dr. Richard, we, we pick these things uh, in careers that we've, we fall into, but you can't really tell where they're going to go. You know, uh, with the advancement of technology, uh, radio is, is under tremendous amount of fire. And uh, while I, I got into the industry with uh, all sorts of optimism and excitement and enthusiasm, uh, what I couldn't see at the time was that that industry was was ultimately going to fade into the into the background and new technologies would take over. So I, I was kind of forced out of the industry. It's interesting as you were talking and you were saying kind of the timeline 2007, that's when the iPhone launched as well. So the paradigms were shifting already. They really were. And, and I was kind of caught up in that. And I'll tell you, so here I am at Aero Electronics. I've been here about seven years, and, and my mother's now so proud of me that I finally have a job, right? But the, the thing is that it's highly unusual for an entrepreneur to then become a corporate executive. Oftentimes, you'll see corporate people decide, oh, I want to see what the entrepreneurial world is like and go the other way. But transitioning from an entrepreneur to a, a corporate executive is, is quite unusual. And the reason why it happened for me was because I had coincidentally had a, a, a longer-term relationship and friendship with the CEO of Aero Electronics. And so for 15 years prior to my having worked uh, here, I'd known him. He'd known me. We'd ridden motorcycles together. We'd climbed the Grand Teton together. And so he knew what I was capable of. He knew what I did uh, as a professional. And more importantly, he trusted me. And he knew that I was somebody he could put into a job at Aero 
and he could he could he could trust me. And so I think that you know normally a company like Aero Electronics would probably look at at big companies like Procter and Gamble or Goldman Sachs or GE and and look for executives there. But in this case, I think the CEO was hoping just for that bond of trust with a communications professional, and and that's how I ended up here. I think it's it's interesting, Rich, because at a glance, or certainly on the surface, it would seem that moving to a company the size of Arrow would be counterintuitive in terms of your mission you know, to provide solutions to the world's problems and help other people. Because as you said, you know, with, with your mom's vision, just whatever you do, help make the world a better place. Whereas these big giant corporations are often just solely focused on money because they have stockholders. So how did you reconcile that? Well, that's a really, really great question, Dr. Richard. And, and the reality is that in my opinion and experience, our jobs, our careers, they're really just platforms for whatever it is that we make of them. They're not inherently, say, good or evil, you know, in the vast majority of cases, they're just platforms. And I realized that in, in, the, in the radio business where my, my positive impact on the world might have been, you know, somewhat limited or so on. But at Aero Electronics, I looked at it as a $24 billion, at the time, maybe $18 billion global corporation and thought, well, if you were ever going to do anything good in this world, that might be a pretty interesting platform to do it from. Whether, you know, you, you work in, in, in a small restaurant or you work as, a, as an attorney or a doctor or it doesn't really matter that much to me. It's, it's what you do with it. And I can tell you, when you're looking at, you know, the kind of global reach that Arrow has and the revenue that Arrow has, boy, you know, there's a lot you can do with that. So I want to talk a little bit about the transformation that you're credited with in terms of shifting a lot of things at Arrow. So let's talk about, from your perception, what Arrow was like towards the end of 2010 when you came in there, and then the sort of things that you implemented to make change. Okay, well, yeah, the company was founded in the 1930s on Radio Row. Uh, which is Cortland Street in Manhattan, the, the site of the former um, uh, World Trade Center. And it had grown and grown and grown, but uh, it, it didn't really have an, a known brand outside of its industry. And, you know, there, there had been 135, I think, or more acquisitions. A third of those, you know, were in the last, say, five to 10 years around here. So uh, it, it had really grown through acquisition, had a lot of tentacles going all over the place. And I believe as a general rule that anonymity in life or anonymity in any way ha is not free. Anonymity has a price. So if you walk into a, a party or a, 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 an event and nobody knows you, well, you're not going to be necessarily as effective in that environment as you might be if you came into the room and people knew you and, and people liked you. So I feel as though Aero Electronics, here it had built itself into this you know, very, very large company, but it was, it was anonymous and it was time to do something about that. So when, you know, if I think of marketing as kind of, say, the art of 
favorably standing out in the world. It was our job to to try to make uh, Arrow appear to be different from competitors, different in this world, and and stand out and and state you know its rightful place in the world. How did you do that? How did you make Arrow seem different compared to your peers? Well, I think there were really three things that people need to to focus on when they're trying to do this. Um, I called it the big three uh, because I, I could I could start each of the concepts with those letters where B was for brand, I stood for intranet, and then I just needed a G because see I can spell big. That that's a, that's a that's a testament <laughs> to my education, and so I called it global marketing services. So global starts with a G, so I got a okay. big. But basically, the point is brand. Brand is content. You know, brand is what do you say? What is your message? And, and we had to figure that out first. The intranet is really just a distribution channel where, you know, it's kind of, we use in, in specifically in that case, Yammer, which is a, a Microsoft product for internal communications. But the point is, once you've figured out what your message is, you got to get that first. Then the question is, how am I going to distribute it? And then when you figure out those distribution channels, the last piece of it, which I called global marketing services, just having people and assets around to make it happen, that's just scalability. So get your message first, figure out how you're going to distribute it, and then how is it going to scale up to, to, to higher volume. And so that's what we did here at Arrow. And I'll tell you, the, the finding the, the, what to say was really quite a challenge because there were all these, there were 30 or more marketing business units around the world all with their own identities, all with their own messages. And what we needed to do is we needed to find a common platform for everybody. You know, and, and this is an, a technology company, an engineering company. And engineers, technologists are often quite modest. You know, they'll work on projects, but they don't really like to necessarily brag about it a lot. So we sent out surveys and we did, conducted interviews. And we had a tremendous response to this activity. And when we got back thousands and thousands of surveys in six languages and translated them all, and we looked for common words, common themes, common phrases, we found after about 600 that everybody around the company, regardless of whether they're in China or Spain or the United States, or whether they're selling computers or components or uh, services, they were all saying about the same thing. Believe it or not, um, they used the same words. And that those words became the guiding language and the guiding light for our company. And it wasn't about what we do, um, but what we believe. So we put together messaging for the corporation that articulates our belief system far more than it articulates what we specifically do, because we can lay our beliefs over all of our various activities around the world. But we couldn't actually articulate one, one activity in, in a company that's this large. Hey guys, Dr. Richard here. For the past seven years, I've been privileged to bring you incredible guests who are changing the world and can help you become the best version of yourself. I'm really excited to share with you a new quiz that I created based on my clinical training that will curate for you a custom list of my top episodes and actionable strategies to help you wherever you are on your journey. All you need to do is go to drrichardschuster.com to take it and it's 100% free. 
You'll be taking the next step on the journey to unlocking the power of you, and I can't wait to see where you'll go. And to take it a step back, you could, I'm sure, connect those beliefs with your mission of helping others. Well, that's exactly right. Um, and, and I'll tell you how the, the, those messages came out. The first message was guiding innovation forward. You know, So it wasn't, hey, we're going to build the next iPad. We're going to build the next refrigerator. It's all about us, me, me, me. It was about guiding. And you think about guiding. You know, guiding implies a destination. Like, okay, we're going to go there together, right? And guiding implies you kind of know how to get there. You've been there before, something like that, right? And and one of the cool things about guiding is it implies there's more than one person. This is about someone else. We use the analogy of Sir Edmund Hillary around here, you know, the, the guy that uh, first man to climb Everest. And I'm sure at the time that was pretty crazy. I mean, nobody had done it and it looked like a good way to get killed, you know? So, Edmund Hillary climbs Everest and is knighted for, for that and, and, and other, other uh, explorations, but he didn't do it alone. He did it with a guy named Norgay Tensing, you know, a Sherpa, a guide, right? And so we articulated an arrow that we are the Sherpas of the electronics industry. And all around the world, Aero employees resonate with that message of guiding innovation forward. We gave him another concept called the innovator's paradox, where what we're trying to do at Arrow is get balance between practicality and possibility. If you think about possibility, you think flying cars or time machines, that's kind of science fiction, right? And if you think about practicality, you're, you're just sitting there worried about, you know, the quarter close. Oh, my gosh, we got to hit our numbers this quarter or Wall Street's going to be upset with us, right? So you got to balance between being out there in science fiction and being so narrowly focused that you're just worried about the day to day. And that's what we call the innovator's paradox is balancing between you know, practicality and possibility. If you're too practical, you're going to miss the next wave of technology. And if you're too far out in the realm of possibility, you're just not going to get anything done. And, and so that paradox leads us to our core statement of being five years out, which is the slogan for aero electronics is five years out, not 15 years out or 20 years out, but thinking about a future that is tangible, that we can actually do something about, you know, and when you think about that idea of being five years out, here we are in 2017. We like to think that today is an idea that people came up with in 2012. And today we need to be thinking about what will the world look like in 2022. And that's where we work. It's interesting. The balance you speak of because it makes so much sense. You know, that engineers tend to be probably pretty linear in their, th- in their thinking. Maybe not linear. Linear is probably the wrong way to put it. But, you know, you have dreamers. I'd say engineers typically aren't dreamers. It's usually the dreamers come to the engineers and give them an idea and they find out how to make it happen. But how do you strike that balance within an organization that large? How do you stay five years out and kind of mediate the needs of the shareholders versus pushing innovation forward? Well, that's a great question, Dr. Richard. And and what we find is that we all fall on that spectrum somewhere individually. You know, some people are more dreamers and other people are more practical. And what it's really about is self-awareness and understanding, you know, I'm kind of a dreamer person or 
you know, I really, I really like the practical aspects of my job and just making sure that the way that you are as a human being lines up with the, the nature of the job position that you're in. Because if you're a dreamer who's stuck in a practical uh, job, the fit's not going to work for you and vice versa. So at a company as large as Arrow, you know, we've got, I think, 21,000 employees worldwide. Everybody fits somewhere on that spectrum. And, 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 and no, nobody's better than anyone else. They're just different. And when all those things mesh, when, when the, the practical folks in our warehouses who are pulling, pickpacking, and shipping 850 various components around the world every second of every day, and if they get something wrong and they put the wrong parts into a shipment, it's possible that shipment's going to a medical line. The line goes down, somebody dies. Those practical workers who are just wonderful, wonderful people are absolutely critical to the company. And then at the same time, you know, I'm working out in the realm of possibility, trying to think of where is this company going to be in, in, in five years and how can I use the tools at my disposal around marketing and communications to help it to get there. So I'm in, a, I'm in the uh, spectrum of uh, possibility and thinking out into the future. And we have tons of other people that are pulling up the practical uh, side of this thing uh, alongside me. I want to stick, if we can, Rich, with that, what you talked about in terms of you know, more of the, the futuristic aspect of this. Because what, what you're saying is striking in the sense that you've got this five-year-out mission and yet technology has never moved at a more rapid pace. So how do you balance innovation in this fast-paced digital world? How do you find the next things? Because it just seems like you blink your eyes and the technology has already shifted tremendously. Well, you're, you're right about that, Dr. Schuster. And in some ways, Arrow is responsible for that. Um, in, insofar as we have over 100,000 customers and suppliers worldwide, and every one of them is asking us to make their products, help them to make their products less expensive and get them to market faster. And so we are driving as a corporation this you know, perpetual, relentless cycle of faster and cheaper, which is great for the world and it's great for innovation. But, but you're right, it is, it is quite a bear. When uh, we look at Aero Electronics, uh, we have the world's uh, largest and most robust database, really, of technology um, in the world today. If you think about the Sabre system, which used to book uh, seats on airlines that was originally, I think, developed by American Airlines, uh, we have the Sabre system for electronics. So we have the uh, background data on every electronic component um, ever devised. We know uh, what its life cycles are, are going to be like. We know when it's going to be retired. And we also have, through that uh, customer and supplier base, we've got information about every aspect of technology that's emerging in, in, in the world today. We're also the world's largest technology publisher with over 45 publications uh, that are actually owned and managed, and, and that content's created by uh, employees of Arrow. So we just have this tremendous visibility into the technology landscape that allows us to see five years out. We're all kind of guessing about that to a certain extent, right? But when we all start throwing darts at the future, Arrow's just going to be a lot better at throwing darts because we've got all the information. And when you combine a tremendous amount of information 
with really smart people, I think you get wisdom. It doesn't help just to be smart, and it doesn't help just to have data. You've got to have both. And, 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 and that's, I think, uh, where uh, Arrow is kind of uniquely positioned in the technology landscape today. So the audience, I'm sure, wants to know, and I need a, I need a day, month, and a year, <laughs> when are we going to get our flying cars and time machines? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> well, we know here at Aero Electronics, we know um, it's it's kind of confident, confidential information, but it really doesn't matter because we'll we'll, we'll be in it. Aero will be in it. Fantastic. In, in all seriousness, though, I, I want to take a a step back and revisit a couple of things that we talked about in your bio that are very interesting. And I'm curious as to how those contributed to what you're doing now, and in particular, the the Ironman competition. And, you know, the, the Team USA bid for the long course triathlon, because, you know, again, your background, I felt was really unique. And, and on top of the things you did professionally, I haven't talked to too many people that have done those things. So talk a little bit about that, if you would. That's an interesting question, Dr. Richard. The, the, I find in Ironman that everyone who I encountered, who, who went up to the starting line of one of those races, had an unbelievably incredible backstory that got them to that starting line because that, that starting line, you know, just gave them the privilege to, you know, swim a couple miles, then go ride a hundred over a hundred miles on a bike and then go run a marathon. So, you know, something's going on in their heads when they're, when they're towing that line. And, um, in my case, the first time I did it, it was because my, my stepbrother had been suddenly killed by a, by a rock that had fallen in Patagonia when he was climbing and, and, and struck him in the head. And uh, he was quite an outdoorsman and, 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 and an athlete, and, and I wanted to do something in honor of him that he could no longer do. So I ended up entering into Ironman. I found that that sport was something that I could train at, and, and, it, and the training was pretty intense. It was multiple workouts every day for, you know, every day. And there's a tremendous amount of pain through that workout process that was rewarded uh, at the finish line. While other events, you know, you might be able to, I might be able to write a check and I could go race a car or something like that. I couldn't actually do an Ironman without, without earning it. And I found that uh, actually all of the training and the working um, in some ways was covering up for other pain that I had in my life. And uh, it's a very, very interesting, you know, kind of, for me anyway, psychological study. But that's how I got into Ironman. And um, in many ways, uh, the sport um, healed me, um, made me stronger, and also helped me to realize just how much pain I can, I can tolerate. The most significant race that I was probably in was 24 hours of Ironman, where basically you just raced for 24 hours to see how far you could get. And at that point, you know, 20 hours into that, you're just kind of hallucinating and just trying to keep moving forward. But after having completed that, I realized, you know, there's really probably nothing that I'm going to face in, in this life. Um, we're pretty protected here in the United States. That's ever going to be as physically and mentally challenging as, as getting through that. So when we look back on the moments when we've most suffered, uh, those things set bars for us of uh, tell us just how much we can take. That's amazing. It's an amazing story. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. 
Well, Rich, we're getting close to the end here. And as you know, I, I like to wrap up my shows by asking every guest who comes on, what is the biggest helping? That is the, their single most important piece of information that, that you would want somebody to walk away with after hearing today's episode with you. Well, thanks, Dr. Richard. In my lifetime, I've had some heaping helpings. I mean, it's just like a, a, a perpetual Thanksgiving, you know, with all of my friends and people I've met. But there, there, is, there is one thing that, that does stand out. And if you can imagine, uh, I'm an, I, I was just a, 18 years old at, at college, and, and my stepfather, who I was very close to, uh, was dying of cancer. I had an opportunity to, to, to see him in the hospital shortly before he died. And I'd like to, to share with you his, his last words to me, which were pretty simple. Do good. Not be good or have a good day, but do good. Actively do good. That is with me all day, every day. Powerful, to say the least. Thank you so much for sharing that, Rich. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Dr. Richard. Rich, where can people find you? Oh, um, well, I can be emailed at rkylberg at arrow.com. And my office direct phone line, my assistant who manages all that for me, is 303-824-4184. Beautiful. Very good. Well, Rich, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show today. It was an awesome discussion. Thank you. And thank you for all you do in the world and all you do for your, your listeners and, 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 uh, and for folks like me. I really appreciate you. Oh, that, that means a lot. Thank you so much for sharing all that. And thank each and every one of you listening at home who heard this show today. If you like what you heard, go subscribe to the show on iTunes and leave us a five-star review because that's what helps other people find the podcast. But most importantly, go out there and do something nice for somebody else today. Even if you don't know them, post it in your feeds using the hashtag MyDailyHelping because the happiest people are those that help others. 